Galatians chapter 5, the uh, foundation of our liberty, the liberty attested, and uh, I've used some material here from John Phillips and uh, a great uh, commentary and some understanding of the scriptures, but we're going to read Galatians chapter 5, uh, verses uh, 1 through uh, 15, and uh, we'll look at that moving forward. Probably may not get to all that tonight, but let's uh, look at this passage of scripture tonight. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace." For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith, for in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then as the offense of the cross cease, I would they were even cut off which trouble you. For, brethren, you have been called into liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. Let's pray, and uh, we'll come for the Lord as we look at this passage of Scripture this evening. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your grace, your mercy. Lord, I thank you for the liberty we have in Jesus Christ, that, uh, Father, I'm not bound to having to follow a whole bunch of laws to keep my salvation. Lord, it wasn't these laws, it wasn't any goodness on my part that got me the salvation. It is solely Jesus Christ. And Father, tonight, as I preach your holy, preserved, wonderful word, Lord, I pray that you would help us this evening to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Lord, may we have the peace and the joy that passeth all understanding. Father, I need your help. I need your strength and your energy, and I yield this evening to thee. Thank you for being our precious and wonderful Savior. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Did the Galatians, as you think about here, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free? Did the Galatians want to put themselves under the law? Uh, Well, Paul had some laws that they would consider. We're going to look at several things here in the passage of Scripture, but if the law, if their law there must be, then here is law. Not a, a law in terms of precepts, but law in terms of principles. And the Old Testament, yes, it gives regulations, it gives rules, it gives uh, Old Testament uh, mosaic laws, if you would, and uh, as the scriptures attest. But and then the Old Testament, excuse me, the New Testament gives us principles to living out the Christian life. Yet the Old Testament laws for the Jew, none of them, as we will understand, looking at the scriptures, none of all the sacrifices and feasts and holy days that they partook of would make them. Uh, holy with God, would bring them into a a faith of God. It was faith first, and then out of obedience, you would, and a love for God, you would observe the feasts and the holy days and the Sabbath and so forth. And uh, the Old Testament saint got saved the same way as the New Testament saint in regards to a faith in God alone. 
Now, they obviously did not know of Jesus Christ dying for their cro- uh, uh, on the cross for their sins yet. They did not know about that. But they, as Abraham, uh, believed God and was reckoned unto him for righteousness. So Paul begins his, this section of Scripture in a discussion of the foundation of our liberty, the foes of our liberty and the uh, frontiers of our liberty. And uh, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. What wonderful words you think about that. Now, Paul was writing in this era mostly to slaves. Now, think about this. A slave mindset. I have a master. He tells me when to get up, what to do, when to go to sleep, all that I must do. And so you have slaves that are there in their employment. They're not treated all the time very well. Rome's iron heel would many times grind men into the mud. You were just nothing to them. You were of no worth to these employers, uh, to the Roman uh, leaders. And so Paul writes this in an idea that we have liberty in Christ. Even though in this world we're slaves, we're treated ill, we're treated wrong. And you can hear the harsh commands as you think about the Apostle Paul, the harsh commands of a centurion ordering someone of a lesser rank. And, uh, but Christianity took its first firmest and its fastest roots among the slaves. And if, you know, really, if millions of people in those days shared one great common desire, it was the desire to be free as we have in this country. Realize this, that the long years that Israel would be in bondage in Egypt, their desire, their cry was for freedom. In Babylon, 50,000 Jews rose up, a single man, at the chance to be free once Cyrus gave the word. The Maccabees would fight the Syrians to a standstill to be free. In Paul's day, the zealots fought until Jerusalem was reduced to rubble, rubble and the temple was Demolished, smoking ruins, all to be free. They would rise up again, the Jews at Masada, defying Rome to the very last man. Masada was a very well-defended city. And they fought until a pseudo-Messiah, Bar Chuchba, until the exasperated Romans would banish every Jew. They would get rid of them. And they would change the name of that area to Palestine in scornful honor of their Philistine foes. We still have Philistine. We still have Palestine today. If you think about the fight that's going on over in, the, uh, over in Israel today, Palestine goes all the way back to Rome to make a mockery of the Jews and replacing Jews with Philistine foes. The desire for freedom is within all human beings. Sir Francis Drake would take a handful of ships to fight Spain's mighty armada. Why? Because of freedom. The American Civil War on both sides fighting for freedom. Harriet Beecher Stowe's classic work, Uncle Tom's Cabin, if you've ever read it or heard it, a wonderful book, a very sobering book, as people would suffer in horrible, horrible injustices. The hands of slave masters, all, and they would escape for the opportunity for freedom. Paul would strike at this very idea, I want to be free in Christ. Whatever their physical and material state was, we as believers can be free from slavery. 
You know, the Greeks had a roundabout way of freeing a slave, and a god at that time in the Greeks and, and Romans believed that a god could purchase a slave's freedom, could set them free. The slave provided the money, but because the slaves had no legal standing, they could, he could not purchase himself, and so his master would pay an appropriate amount into the temple to the God, and then the God would give him that freedom. And the words, for, you know, as you think about this, the slave, as he is given to that God, is now property of that God, because he's, his freedom has been purchased for him. Paul says, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. God, Christ, paid my debt to get me freedom. So my freedom stands behind the God who purchased my freedom. I'm free. I'm free. I'm no longer in the bondage, and, and I'm getting up to a point here on this freedom. Because in Galatians, as we've been discussing, Galatians is because these Judaizers are coming in with all of these rules and all of these Jewish laws that they're putting upon new converts, saying you have to do all these Jewish customs and feasts and holidays in order to truly be a Christian. And Paul is fighting such a notion. Because what happens here is the freedom has been purchased. We are a property of the Son of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 tells us this. That we are not our own. We've been purchased by the blood of Christ. But these legalists who are putting rules that you must do this rule and this rule and this rule and this rule in order to truly be a Christian. That is bondage. That is not freedom. I remember some time ago I was, we were talking with someone who used to attend here and, and they were telling us about a certain group down in southern Manitoba. And in with this in this group if a woman would go into labor. There was the pastor's wife there in the room with the woman giving birth, and the pastor's wife would make sure the woman giving birth did not yell too loud, that she was always covered modestly and uh, while she's giving birth. That's legalism. That's silliness. And all these rules that are bound upon an individual to shackle a Christian with the chains of the law in order to, and what it's doing is Christ made us free. I don't have to sin. I don't have to do all these things. Stand fast, Paul cries. The rallying cry that he gives. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Watch ye stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men, be strong. We find also in Philippians 1, if you'd like to look with me here, we'll look at a couple passages in Philippians. But again, your salvation was not obtained by any merit, good works, or any of your own goodness that obtained or somehow bargained or bartered with God for your freedom. You had nothing to barter with. You had no money to barter with because you're a slave. You have no means of freedom. And that's what Christ purchased in my place. Find in Philippians 1.27, only let your conversation or your lifestyle be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit. He's saying, Christians, church of Philippi, I want all of you to stand 
fast. Stand firm. Plant your feet. Don't move. In one spirit, he says, I want you all to be united. With one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You've got to be clear, what is the gospel? Look with me at Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my dearly, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Do you think stand fast is pretty important? 1 Thessalonians 3.8, for now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. God says, plant those feet on what is the gospel and don't move. Sunday night we were talking about the very same thing. Enter ye in at the straight gate. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. You know when face, here's a little... Uh, cultural understanding for you of the apostle paul as he gives this instruction here uh, in galatians when faced by wild undisciplined enemy hordes the romans simply locked their shields together planted their feet firmly on the ground and presented to the charging enemy an iron wall of steel and resolution all the army as they stand they all lock their shields together stand fast don't move don't budge and they're united together. And they come together under the Lord. And the kind of stand that we take against error. If you want to change the gospel and say the gospel demands you must put your faith and trust in Christ. And you're not standing fast. You're putting bondage. And what these men are doing. And he says, be not entangled. And that idea, Herodias... Uh, the wife of Herod Antipas, had a quarrel against John the Baptist in Mark 6, 19. Therefore, Herodias had a quarrel against him. The word entangled, a quarrel against. She would have killed him had she been able to. You know, and the plot, she kept cherishing a grudge. Entangled, a conflict to come in, to bind you, to hold you down. A conflict. It's illegal is what they were doing there at Galatia, saying... You haven't done enough. There's a conflict with the gospel. And they would cherish a grudge against Paul's converts. Church of Galatia with a whole bunch of young believers. Paul says we must united stand in firm opposition of anyone. The Pharisees would nurse a hatred toward the Lord Jesus Christ until they would finally subdue him and take him to the cross. They hated Christ because of their rabbi's traditions. He doesn't follow the Sabbath. He doesn't follow this rule. Oh, he doesn't know what woman is washing his feet. He doesn't know, or anointing his feet. There's all these things that they heaped upon the people. And the Galatians are up against the same thing. The legalists were putting the heat on. Hey, you need to be circumcised. You need to follow the Sabbath. Paul says, don't be entangled with a yoke of bondage. I don't know about you, but I really don't want a stocks around my neck to walk through life. It's a pretty difficult thing. 
we actually have some stocks downstairs. Now, they're pretty big. I think you can almost pull your head out of it, but we had it for a vacation Bible school one time, and it's downstairs, and I, I did put my head through it. And the idea of having to be in such a horrible state to have something around your neck is an awful thought. Can you imagine working day in and day out as these slaves with chains on your arms or legs? Because you are no longer worthy to be a Roman citizen, you're just almost on equal status with the animals. What Christ did is he elevates every person in Christ to freedom. The freedom is not because of any doing of myself or yourself because of what Christ has done. And this liberty is under attack. Verse 2, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. The circumcision was the seal of the Abrahamic covenant for the natural seed of Abraham. What do I mean by that? Circumcision, we understand what that is. We don't explain it afterwards, but circumcision... That physical thing that happens to a baby was a sign for the Abrahamic covenant of that child being of the Jewish race. It's also, there is some medical things on it as well that speak of this. But Moses confirmed that it was also necessary for the aliens, or what I mean by aliens, as uh, he, uh, Exodus 12, 48, and when a stranger saw sojourn with thee, an alien is all, or think about this, is a stranger in the land. They're not Jewish by birth, okay? And will keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. So in the Old Testament, if a stranger was there in the land with the Israelites, they wanted to partake of the Passover, they needed to be circumcised. Now, just in short, a little rabbit trail on that, that circumcision spiritually speaking, is the same as today. Someone needs to be born again. They need to be saved. Circumcision was as much an identification mark of the Jewish religion as keeping the Sabbath and observing the dietary laws. They had made it a crucial thing. But the Gentiles would look upon such a practice with scorn. So is it necessary... Now, at that time, in the time of the church of Galatia, when the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, is writing this letter to this church, it's easy for a woman to become a Jewish convert. But for a man, it's pretty painful. She didn't have to go through that unpleasant barrier. And so these Gentile males are looking with scorn upon this very action. Christianity would offer a, a, a Galatian male a lot more than Judaism did. There's no strings attached. But what these people are doing, these Judaizers, is you must trust Jesus and be circumcised in order to truly be a Christian. That's rules of man. That's not what God said. And, that, and Paul says, if you're circumcised, so what? Christ shall profit you nothing. The sacrifice of Christ did nothing for you if you're going to give and leverage your salvation on your circumcision. 
Calvary marks that fork in the road. If you're going to, in, in, in like manner today, people say, I know I'm a Christian because I was baptized. Your baptism doesn't make you a Christian. It means you got wet. But it doesn't make you a Christian. Because if you're hinging that work, then Christ profits you nothing. And I'll get to there in just a second. I mean, that's, I mean, Paul is, I mean, he is hitting at these legalizers with two fists. All he's got. In 1 Corinthians 7, 18, is any man uh, called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is any called an uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Paul said it doesn't matter. What this means, what he's saying here is it doesn't matter if you are circumcised or you're not. That is not a bearing on whether you have been saved or born again as the Bible speaks. So it doesn't, it's not prohibiting a Jew, meaning you don't need to be circumcised. It's not prohibiting a Jew who is. It's for all people. Stand fast in the liberty. In Hebrews 7.25, the Bible tells us, is, turn here just a moment, Hebrews 7.25. You know what a wonderful thing it is as a Christian? That I cannot, number one, I can't lose my salvation, but number two, I don't need to keep my salvation. Anyone that tells you you can lose your salvation is a legalist that's saying that the salvation you have is dependent upon you keeping it. It's not conditioned upon Christ. Hebrews 7.25, Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that cometh, that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Listen, the Bible is telling us God anyone to the uttermost i don't care how bad you've done or how good you've done you've still done wrong from the good spectrum to the bad spectrum by man's standard you're still a sinner but god is not will god god can save you to the uttermost i've talked with individuals in this community they say well I, i've got to get some right things right first what are you doing you're falling to the trap of legalism, much like you might find in the system of the Catholic Church or others. And people are proving that they never knew him to fall into this trap. And the seriousness of this trap is verse 3 of Galatians 5, For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Do you want to choose Mount Sinai where you got the Ten Commandments or do you want to choose Mount Calvary? Mount Sinai, you get the Ten Commandments. Oh, God will fulfill all the law. Oh, and all the people, yay, Lord, will fulfill all the law. We'll be faithful unto you. Yes, Lord. It was truly an understanding that they couldn't ever fulfill it. Because yes, you might do it in practice, but you're not doing it with all your heart as we've been called to do. None of us love God with all our heart. That's an endeavor to do that. There's been times I know in my own life and as I watch our daughter grow up, I ask her to do something, she doesn't. Sometimes she'll roll her eyes. Her heart is not in it as I've asked her. Sure, she's doing it, but her heart is quite opposite. And the fact remains, if you go into legalism, God 
says you must be perfect and fulfill every law with all your heart and perfectly in person. That's heavy bondage. And by the way, you can never know if you're, perf- if you're saved. That's an awful place to be. What a miserable place to be. You know why many times religion hates Christianity? Because we tell people that all the good works and their own pride that they're trying to strive for heaven will never be enough. And the pride kicks up saying, who are you to tell me what to do? And many times throughout the centuries as 50 plus million Christians have died for the faith because they stand in the face against legalism and they're hated. Paul wants his believers to understand the seriousness of the choice. If you go to be circumcised, then you are choosing the law over grace, works over faith, and you better not ever mess up. How many of you like it if you go to work and you have a boss over your shoulder looking at everything you do and every little mistake they're griping and complaining to you? That's a miserable place to be. I don't like it. I, I don't think any of us like it. Hey, why'd you do that? Why'd you do this? And sometimes you're doing it right, but you're like, you know, you're all nervous because your boss is like literally breathing down your neck and you're like, ah, <laughs> right? that's an awful place. That's the law. It's not comfortable. And the fact remains is you... <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 8. Look with me here. A passage of Scripture people sometimes allude to as someone losing their salvation, but in fact, someone never came to salvation. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 8. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again into repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it and bringeth forth herbs, meat for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth the blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh into cursing, whose end is to be burned. What he's talking about here is people, they've tasted the goodness of God, they've come under the conviction of God, they've tasted of the peace of God, they've tasted what it's like, but they never took the step to accept God. They walked with God maybe for a time, or they they thought they were saved, but they never got to the place. They tasted of it, but they never consumed it. They're not saved. And it talks here, again, to about putting Christ, you know, uh, they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh. Christ died once. He doesn't need to die again. You're saved once. You can't lose it. And the implication here in Galatians is he fights against these Judaizers. Why is it so important that we say this is the gospel? Because if the gospel is wrong, You never reach your destination. If you're flying in a direction and you're off by half a degree and you're going a long distance, half a degree off, you will not reach your destination. You go 
I don't even know, thousands of miles or thousands of kilometers. You're not going to reach your destination if you're off. Maybe there's some loophole there that you find some. But most of the time, if you're off just a fraction, it's going to affect your destination. And to add works to grace is you're off on your direction. Circumcision was the way a Gentile became a Jew under the Mosaic Covenant. All 613 commandments of Sinai needed to be fulfilled. It was obligation. And what he says, that he is a debtor to do the whole law. You know what? You fall into debt. Christ has become of no effect unto you. You have the entire debt to pay off. That is an awful, horrible, fateful decision to have the debt that I can never mess up. Not one day, not one second, not even one second. If I'm doing it in practice, but I'm not doing it in heart, I've failed. You have an impossible debt to pay off because none of us can do it. 1 Peter 3.21, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, baptism does not make you a believer. Now, it's after salvation, and it's answer of good conscience for the Lord, a prerequisite to church membership. It's, it's a, what you ought to do as a public statement of faith in Christ. It, it has its merits. In that regards, that I want to honor the Lord in obedience, but it doesn't make you a believer. Because this moment you make baptism a merit for salvation, you're now going back to Sinai. You're not going to Calvary. And the word fallen here, you're fallen from grace in verse 4, is used of the withering grass beneath the burning rays of the sun. In James chapter 1, verses 10 and 11 as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, that word there, and the gra uh, grace of the fashion of it perisheth. Fallen from grace. The moment you go to something needed for salvation apart from exclusive faith in Christ, you fall from grace into the law. I love the Apostle Paul. Paul is one of those guys, he doesn't really beat around the bush because he understands the seriousness of the topic he's dealing with. If someone was to come to your house and bring something that would hurt your family, I guess, and I, I would venture to to have a great assumption that you would fight that with all your might. You would do what you could to protect those within your home, your loved ones, because of the attack. And Paul says, as the children whom he's ministered to and given the word of God, he does not want them to fade. He does not want them to lose the hope in Christ. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. There's a triumphal waiting in verse 5, as you see here. The law removes hope. 
I remember so many times as I was down in North Carolina training for the ministry, and I'd be out door knocking and talking with people, and well, I'd, I'd hear people, how do you know, are you saved? Oh, yes, I, I hope so. Well, how do you know so? Oh, I, yes, I know I'm saved. Well, I'm a good person, da-da-da. And they would miss all types of different churches they were going to. Baptists and all sorts of. They're going to a fault. It's really a complacency. You lose that hope, a great delusion. If it's a baptism, a confession, a creed, good work, Sabbath keeping, much like the Seventh-day Adventists, you must keep the Sabbath. Well, they still have clothing that has cotton and, and lint, you know, other different textures, to, types of uh, material together, in, obviously in opposition of Jewish law. They don't take into account that. But hope fades because if my salvation is a part of anything I'm doing, then I will fail. See, Christian, what a hope that is. That I don't have to fall into that trap. I don't need to be pulled down. For we, through the Spirit, listen to what it's saying, wait. Wait for what? The hope of righteousness by what? By faith. He says, slaves, listen, one day, we get to glory. All of this physical bondage is going to be freed. There's a hope set before us. You get to that hope by faith. Faith, the gift, what Jesus did. We wait for it. It's exciting. You know what, if you have a big something coming up that you're really looking forward to and you're excited and maybe you're giddy about it, and you know what, there's a hope that it's going to happen. Then you get there and someone says, well, we're going to change plans. And you're just like, oh, right? Your heart sinks. Your expectations have not been met. The law will let you down. 1 Corinthians 1, 7. So that ye come behind no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. From our, for our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look with me at Hebrews 9, 28. And this hope, why is Christianity such a, a, a wonderful, wonderful thing? I didn't do a thing to bring reconciliation with God. I simply believed what the Bible said, and I put my faith in the finished death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a gift. He paid all the work. I'm now belonging to him, and as I belong to him, he says, Christian, you're free. Stand fast. And then he says, listen. There's a hope set before you, a hope for eternity, an excitement that will be with the Lord. My friend, that ought to keep us on the path saying, I reject all legalism. I don't want to lose that hope. I don't want to lose that anticipation of what lies before me. And there in Hebrews 9, 28, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. And you think about this. He died once. He's coming back. He's going to change this world. He'll rule and reign. There at the end of the tribulation period, and he came back from the dead. Defeated death and the curse. 
as you think about a true working. In verse 6, for in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, means it has no factor, uh, nor, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. He says, if you're Jew, great. If you're Gentile, great. Doesn't matter. It's faith which works in love. The old barrier that lies between us, the Jews and the Gentiles, is broken down. And simply by the love of Jesus Christ. Faith, hope, love. If you think about it. Simple faith. A humble faith. A humble hope, excuse me. Manifested not in the law. But the love of God. For God so loved the world. But God commendeth his love toward us. And that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. I understand some of these truths are pretty basic. But Christian... And this ought to encourage us. I didn't do a thing, and we ought to have a holy hatred for any doctrinal position that deviates from the faith in Christ alone. There ought to be no compromise. You can't compromise, because to compromise, you leave Calvary for Sinai. You leave Calvary's hope for Sinai's demise. It's not wrong to have a narrow mind. Enter ye in at the straight gate. That straight gate is the narrow gate. May our hearts be filled with such an anticipation of what God, as we look ahead to the future, I get to spend eternity with Him. I was just thinking on Sunday, as I was thinking on Sunday, you know, and, and we get to heaven and reading the scriptures and Millions of saints all singing in heaven together, a heavenly chorus. It's going to be awesome. More sorrow, crying, tears, pain, death. Christian, we have the greatest gift this world's ever been given. Stand fast. Don't budge. Don't move. There's, don't let anyone take your hope. Stand in what the Bible says. The, thus saith the Lord. Who cares if they can twist the scriptures to manipulate it to their own thing? The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It'll pay all my sin debt. Give me a hope of eternity in heaven. A reconciliation with God now. A liberty from the power of sin over me. I don't need to be a slave to sin now. I've been given freedom. And the Spirit of God will help me. As I yield to him daily, Christian, rejoice. Take comfort. The law, the liberty in Christ. Stand fast, unified like those soldiers all locked together. We unify in one spirit. This is the gospel. We will not be moved. As you think on these truths tonight, you can't stand fast in something you don't believe. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ by faith alone, Apart from any works, any deeds, sacraments, solely by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Tonight, I trust you to understand that Jesus paid it all. You don't need to do anything, but receive it by faith alone. If you accept it by faith, as the Bible, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Christian, rejoice. Don't let someone steal your hope. Don't let someone steal your joy. 
you see a doctrinal deviation will result in a loss of hope and joy. You can't lose your salvation, but I'd say you're going to lose a whole lot. Stand fast. Don't move. You might lose friends. You might lose others. But you'll receive the praises of the Lord. May you stand in the liberty that Christ has purchased for us. With heads bowed and eyes closed this evening, as we have a time of invitation, if I can have Mrs. Pat come forward, please. Christian, I trust this encourages your heart. Don't move. Don't budge. Man, we have a gift. If you've never received that gift, my friend, Christ is waiting to release that bondage. Release all that you've done. Release the thought that I can somehow merit God's grace. And just simply receive the gift by faith, and God will forgive you. As the music plays tonight, if you've never been saved, you've never been born again, there's never a time in your life where you asked and accepted Christ by faith alone. I trust tonight that you do that. I'd love to show you from the Bible if you're not sure. Maybe there's doubts. Maybe in, in the doubts it could very well be. You're trusting upon an event. Maybe someone says, oh yeah, you were saved here, but in your heart you keep having the mind, I'm not saved. Did you really get saved? If you are saved, and you, I, I know I did what the Bible says, then stand in that and rejoice and go forth in the hope set before us. Amen. As Mrs. Pat plays through one more stanza, opportunity to talk with the Lord. Take heart, my friend, and stand fast in the liberty. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this evening. I thank you for your wonderful grace. Thank you for the visitors you brought tonight. And Father, I pray that you keep our hearts aright with thee. Father, thank you. Thank you for the salvation that you've given to us. Lord, I pray that we would stand fast in the liberty of Christ, stand fast in the truth of the gospel, the doctrine of the gospel, and not change. Lord, help us to continue to have that hope. In the dreary, most dreary and dark days, Lord, we still have an assurance of an eternity with you. Father, thank you for that. I love you. Thank you for being our gracious Savior. In your precious name I pray.